This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Judah says, no, we will not abandon Benjamin to be a slave. Benjamin will be a slave, we'll be slaves also. And when Joseph sees that, that the brothers would rather all become slaves than to abandon Benjamin. Joseph is thrilled with the change he sees. And Joseph has seen the brothers really have repented, and they really are not doing the same things that they did in the past when they were put in the same temptation. With his wonderfully designed plan, Joseph has been able to ask the question, have my brothers changed? He's been able to ask the question, have my brothers repented of the sins of envy, hatred, and abandonment? And from executing his plan, Joseph has just set Benjamin up in his place to be envied, hated, and abandoned. And from behind his disguise as the Egyptian governor, Joseph has sat there and evaluated as a judge very carefully and seen they no longer have that. They no longer are harboring those sins of envy, hatred, and abandonment. His brothers have repented, and it was his brother's repentance of the envy, hatred, and abandonment that opened the door of reconciliation with Joseph. It was only after this that Joseph then revealed himself in the next chapter, 45, and said, I am Joseph. No repentance, no re revealing himself. No repentance, no reconciliation. No repentance, no being brought into Egypt and fed and being saved and not perishing. It was because of their repentance that Joseph is now ready to be reconciled with his brothers. And it's because of their repentance that the door of that reconciliation was open. And the same is true for every person. We come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we come as DRS, dirty, rotten sinners. But we must repent of our sins before we're saved. And if it means crying out to God to help us to change, to and I like to use this analogy, but I will anyway, get a divorce from the sin that we married ourselves to, 
then that's what we have to do. Now, what we've just seen here is an illustration of the importance of repentance, and this is true for everyone today. Unless there is repentance, there can be no reconciliation with God. That's what the Lord Jesus meant when he said in Luke 13.3, Luke 13.3, nay, I say, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And if a person thinks that he can continue with his sin and simply receive the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior and he won't be cast into hell, he is wrong. He's dead wrong. He's tragically wrong. Because just as we've seen with these brothers, there has to be repentance before there can be reconciliation. And just as Joseph recreated a scenario that put the brothers in the same temptation, in the same situation that they were in 22 years ago. So when we have sinned, God recreates in our lives a similar situation for us now, just like Joseph did for his brothers. Just like Joseph watched to see if his brothers would behave differently because they repented, so after God has set up in our lives a similar situation where we sinned in the past, and then God watches us to see, are you gonna behave differently now than you did in the past? What we've seen in these three tests here that Joseph set up shows us what repentance is. Repentance is acting differently than we did in the past when presented with the same temptation. And I, now I know that, that the situation with Joseph was set up wasn't exactly the same in his life with his brothers, but, but let's keep in mind that Joseph is really trying to give the benefit of the doubt to the brothers here. He, and he's not setting up these situations for the brothers to fail. He's trying to help them. And so Judah now, he comes forward in verse 16 and he says, what shall we say unto my Lord. He throws himself now on the mercy of Joseph. He doesn't argue. He doesn't try to justify himself. He's not like, I mean, uh, Joseph asked him, what is this deed that you have done? And that's the same question that God asked Adam and Eve after they sinned. He came first to, to Adam and, and he says, you know, what did you do? Did you eat the tree that I told you not to eat of? And, and Adam doesn't throw himself on the mercy of God, but he says, well, the problem is the woman. No, no, the problem is you gave me the woman. Such a woman you gave me. That was the problem, that was Adam. And then uh, Eve, when he came to Eve, says, you know, what have you done, Eve? And then she, she didn't accept responsibility. She said, no, the serpent beguiled me. But in this case here, when Judah is faced with the question, what is the thing that you've done? He says, what shall we say? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? In that statement, what shall we say? He's saying, I have no content. I have no content of how to clear myself. In the second statement, what shall we speak? The word Hebrew word there is the word to arrange. Even if I had a contract, a content, I don't even know how to put it together. I don't even know how to say it. And then he, say, he throws up his hands in verse 16, he say, how shall we clear ourselves? With that statement, by the way, Judah's speech here is the most elegant speech in the whole of the Old Testament. It is just beautiful with a charming simplicity to it, a transparency. He's turning himself inside out. It's just a beautiful speech here. But he says, how should we clear ourselves? And with that statement, Judah makes the ultimate confession, I got no way. I've got no way to even clear myself. That's what it looks like when a person repents and comes to the end of himself when a person has nothing to claim to be cleared from his sin. And that's the point that God's waiting for. God's waiting for every person to come to that. That's what it looks like when a person is in contrition. That's what contrition looks like. And God says about contrition in Psalm 51, 17, Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, that's Judah, 
or a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. In Isaiah 66, 1, Isaiah 66, 1, God says, thus saith the Lord, the heaven's my throne, the earth's my footstool. Where's the house you're gonna build to me? Where's the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and all these things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. And when a person is completely broken before the Lord, as Judah was, and by the way, Judah was speaking for his brothers. Very surprising, he wasn't the firstborn, Reuben was. He wasn't the secondborn, Simeon was. He wasn't the thirdborn, Levi was. So how come he stands up there and speaks on behalf of him? Because he's the one who was able. How come the Lord Jesus Christ, who was not born in Jerusalem, who came from a slum town of Nazareth, and who did not come from a prominent family, did not learn at the feet of some great teacher. How is he the king of the Jews? Because that's how God called him. He was anointed to be. But anyways, Judah is standing up, and he's speaking now, and his brothers are looking at Judah, and they're just amazed at what he's saying. They're saying, go, Judah, go. And None of us are gonna try to take your position. Judah, we praise you, which is what Jacob said on his deathbed. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Now, Judah now, he's completely broken before Joseph, and so God looks at him and says, that's the person I'm gonna look to, not trying to clear himself. His only argument is for the grace and mercy of God. And this is just like the hymn, The Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. It's very graphic. If a person has something in their hand, like their CV of all their good works, then they can't cling to the cross. So only with nothing, in the hand can the cross be clinged to. And that's what he's saying in verse 16 when he says, how should we clear ourselves? He's saying, I have nothing in my hand. I'm clinging to the mercy of Joseph. Now, in the past, the guilt of the brothers, the guilt that they had, what they had there because of what they did to Joseph, it put their lives on a continual track of trying to clear themselves, of lying. They had lies like a bag of M&Ms. You want one? Here's the one. I got another life for you? That's fine. What did you say? Okay, here you go. Here's a lie. And they were always, for these last 22 years, telling lies. And they were pretty good at it. And they'd done a pretty good job. But now Judah has said, I can't do this anymore because I'm at the end of myself. And he asked three questions to Joseph. He said, what, what, how? His first what, what shall we say? The content, I don't have it. The second what, what shall we speak? As I said, speak means arrangement. He says, I don't know how to be persuasive. I don't have any reasonings. I don't have any logic. I don't have anything to convince you with. He has just responded. You know, Judah has responded to Joseph in a staccato, stuttering manner. He's stammering here with this what, what, how, and he's all confessing. I don't have the content of what to say to clear myself. I don't have the style of what to say to clear myself. I don't have the ability of what to say to clear myself. I don't have a strategy for what to say to clear myself. And this is a crystal clear illustration of self-bankruptcy. Judah has just looked at his personal gas gauge and he's seen it's on empty, empty. And he's telling the governor, I just ran out of gas. I can't do anymore. And Judah has really laid it on the line. He's saying, we are exhausted of ourselves. We have run out of our own resources. And with that confession there, that's a confession of inner depravity that Paul made in Romans 7:18 when Paul said, for I know that in me, 
that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that good I find not. In Romans 7.24, 7.24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? This is the point where every person has to come to be saved from their sins and have a future with God. And what's so remarkable about what Judah has said here is to just think who's saying this. This is Judah, the man of eloquence, the man of great persuasive ability, the man who swayed the brothers not to kill Joseph but to sell him, the man who persuaded his father Jacob to let him be parted with his prized Benjamin. This is the man who is now saying he's at a loss for words, he's at a loss for speech, he's at a loss for how to clear himself. When a Jewish person says that they're at a loss for words, that's very significant. But this is the same point that Jacob came to in Genesis 32 when he came to the end of his own personal resources with his hip out of joint and he was pitifully clinging to God saying, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And the fire had to get really hot on Jacob for him to come to that point of personal bankruptcy. And Joseph has made the fire get really hot for his brethren for them to come to this point of personal bankruptcy. I mean, these were pretty hard-hearted boys here. I mean, they would not listen to Joseph's cries for mercy in the pit. They just sat down to eat bread. Then later, they sold him, and they looked at their coins that they cashed him in for, and the rattle of their coins in their pockets as they walked away. It's all changed now. It's all different now. And the question is, why? Why does Judah not have anything to say? Why can he not arrange his arguments? Why he has nothing to clear himself? And he answers the question in his next statement of why the master lawyer is now at a loss for words to show that they're innocent. And he says, it's because of one thing. God has found out the iniquity of thy servants in verse 16. Verse 16, God has found out the iniquity of the servant. So what Judah was saying was that it's all changed now because now it's not a problem with the governor that we have to convince. Now it's not a problem of a father we have to deceive. Now it's a problem with God. We can't convince God that we're innocent and we can't deceive God. It's just like with all men, as it says in Psalm 6311, Psalm 6311, the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped In Romans 3.19, Romans 3.19, it says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So their lives, the brothers' lives were on a constant mood to hide the sin, hide the sin, hide what they did against Joseph. And they thought, the only person that we gotta worry about is our father. Just keep him deceived, that we're good. And now the brothers have come to realize that they were short-sighted because there was another person involved that they had to deal with, that was God. And for the past 22 years, the brothers could say, our father hasn't found out the iniquity of thy servants. But now they realize that they're ignoring God, and so they have to now confess in verse 16, God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. And speaking for the brothers, Judah doesn't go into any details with the governor of exactly what what was that iniquity you were talking about that God found out. Because for all they knew, the governor really wasn't involved with the iniquity of what they did to Joseph. They didn't know it was really Joseph. But from Joseph's perspective, the fact that they were willing to confess to a total stranger that they had an iniquity that God has found out was punishing them for, that was something for Joseph to hear. He knew they were confessing their sin openly before him and before God. And Judah has realized that that we're dealing with God. God's got us. God's got us. And you can see how Judah's he's not trying to figure out, how did that cup get into Benjamin's bag? 
Hold it a second here. Just a minute, Governor, if just on my little investigation. Uh, Benjamin, don't lie to me now. Did you take that cup? Judah's not saying to the steward, uh, Mr. Steward, did you put that cup in Benjamin's sack? And Judah's not saying to the brothers, okay, boys, when was the last time any of you saw that cup? Judah's not saying to Benjamin, Benjamin, when was the last time you checked your sack? Okay, now let's see now. It had to come in between this time and this time. Where were we all during this time period? No, he's not trying to do any of that. Because those are the details. Those are the circumstances of life. Those are the details of how the cup got into Benjamin's sack, and it's not important. Instead, Judah is quick to recognize that this was a judgment of God for the sin against Joseph. And as for all these details of how the silver cup got into Benjamin's sack, those were just the life circumstances. Those were like a big curtain, like this curtain. They were just like a big curtain that they could call. That's the curtain of life circumstances. And what Judah has just done in verse 16, he's taken his hand and he's just pulled back the curtain of life circumstances. And when he does that, he sees the hand of God. Behind the curtain, he sees the hand of God. He sees that God is against them. And what Judah has seen as he pushes back this curtain of life circumstances is he declares it in verse 16. God, it's God. He's found out the iniquity of thy servants. He's saying very important words. God has found out the iniquity of thy servants, plural. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. So what's he saying? Is he really saying something like, you're right, governor, stealing the cup is a terrible crime, and the one who stole the crime, he's the guilty one, he's the one who should be punished. That's not what he's saying. What Judah is saying here is that we're all guilty of an iniquity. It's not stealing the cup. And so all of us must become slaves for the iniquity which we did, and he doesn't name it. And that's the significance of Judah in verse 16 saying both, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. Judah then, when he talks about God, he says, God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. In our versions here, in our English versions, it says God. That's not the way it says in Hebrew. It's Elohim. It's Elohim. But it doesn't say just Elohim. It says Ha Elohim, the God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. He's in Egypt. Judah's in Egypt. For all he knows, he's talking to an Egyptian governor who's also an idolater with many, many gods. But Judah is now just saying, when he says, ha Elohim, Judah is saying to this person, there's only one God. His name is Elohim. We know him as Jehovah Jesus. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one. He's the one God, only God, from Hebrews 4.13. Hebrews 4.13 All things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. When Judah said, Ha Elohim, the God, we remember the last time that God was referred to as Ha Elohim, the God, and that was when Joseph said to Pharaoh, back in Genesis 41.25, 41.25, God has showed Pharaoh what he's about to do. Elohim, Ha Elohim has showed Pharaoh what he's about to do. That was when Joseph was witnessing to a heathen Egyptian about the only true God. Well, here's Judah acting just like Joseph, witnessing to who Judah thought was a heathen Egyptian about the only true God. Judah is now saying to who he thought was an Egyptian, there's only one true God. There's only one true God. Seeing Judah speak like this, it gives us an illustration It gives us an illustration of, you really know a person who's been converted to the Lord Jesus Christ when he witnesses to the lost that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only true God. 
And Judah, witnessing to who he thought was a, an Egyptian idolater, shows us the truth of Romans 10.10. Romans 10.10 says, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So Judah is telling the governor here, I gotta tell you, governor, that there's only one true God. And then he's also saying, I gotta tell you, governor, I can't stand it any longer. There's a much bigger picture involved here. And that's the reason why he uses the word also when he says that we also are going to be slaves to my Lord. So what Judah is saying here by the word also is that there's these two crimes that are on the table. One is the matter of the stealing of the cup. That's the one you came after us for, that's obvious. But the other crime was the iniquity that God found out. And he's saying to the governor, there's really been two discoveries here. There's one discovery is you found the cup in Benjamin's sack. That was the stealing of the cup. But the other discovery is that God has found out the iniquity of the brothers. What did Samuel say? Your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. That's why Judah said that they all needed to be punished because of the other crime of the iniquity of all the other brothers, which seems to indicate, by the way, that Benjamin was not a part of that group who sold Joseph a slave. That's why Judah said, Benjamin needs to be punished for taking the cup, and we need to be punished for the iniquity. Just imagine Joseph there, the disguised Joseph as an Egyptian governor. What he feels like when he's hearing Judah say, we don't know what happened to our lost brother, but we're so convicted by our guilt that we want you to please take us and put us into slavery. And then when the brothers tore their clothes with all this, they were saying, God's got a hold of us now. There's no escape. There's no need for any words. Just deep, deep, heartfelt repentance. And what is great to see here is how they pass the parts one, two, and three of Joseph's test for repentance. Not one brother hated Benjamin for getting that special honor and five times more food. They passed part one of the no envy test. Not one brother says to Benjamin, how could you do it? How could you get us in all this trouble? They passed part two of the no hatred for getting them in trouble test. Not one brother said, okay, fine, take Benjamin, we're gonna return home, that's great. They passed part three of the no abandonment test. So what we see here in Joseph recreating the past as a test for repentance is how God graciously deals with us in our lives. What a person does as his first response to a bad situation when he yields to temptation and then escapes without making things right, just like the brothers. They tried to get rid of Joseph. So there is a change to a new job to get rid of that unreasonable boss. There's a change to a new neighborhood to get rid of that awful neighbor. There's a change to a new marriage to get rid of that terrible spouse. But just as Joseph made it, recreated it, so that the brothers had a new envied brother who got them in trouble, a new brother who they hated. He makes it so that there's the new job with the new unreasonable boss. There's the new neighborhood with the new awful neighbor. There's the new marriage with the new terrible spouse. And God does this to help us to not escape to a new circumstance, but to find a new repentance. And that's what Joseph did here to help his brothers. He found a new repentance. And so we've seen here what repentance is. Repentance is to be placed in the same temptation from the past and not to repeat the same sin. That's why God puts us into these same temptations of the past so we can prove that we have repented and not fail the Luke 13.3 test, the Luke 13.3 test of unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for capturing for us such vivid details of what happened 
And when Moses wrote them, it happened 400 years before Moses. But Lord, you preserved it all so we can just see the eyes, we can hear the voices, and we understand so clearly. And now, Lord, we pray that you've done the same with us tonight here as we've studied your word in Jesus' name. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.